So today we continue our series on the Psalms. We have one more week after this to look at the Psalms, and then September 10th comes, and we have a kickoff, and uh, our sermon series for the fall will be on the Ten Commandments. So we'll uh, start that on September 10th, but we still have today, and next week Don will preach from another Psalm. Remember the Psalms? Oh, I, I want to say one thing, too. I forgot to give a report on Next Gen. You know, Next Gen, last week we had our kickoff, and it was fabulous. We had, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really good. So we're really encouraged by the response. I think overall for the day we had like over 50 kids. So uh, lots of new families, and so it's just, it's going great. So we're really excited about uh, the launch of that ministry. Continue to pray for it. Uh, that God will really, and it, one of the exciting things is all the volunteers. We had like 25 volunteers helping out last week. So great launch to that new ministry. Um, you know, it, at the beginning of this series, I talked about how the Psalms are uh, Israel's prayer book. So all these Psalms are prayers and also songs that are used in worship. And so today's lesson, although it's very short, is, of course, a prayer as well. So listen now to God's word for us today. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Uh, let's pray together. God, we pray that you would speak to us a very clear word today as we uh, approach an interesting uh, subject today. We pray that our hearts would be open um, to what you have for us, that my words today and the scripture would be both an encouragement and also maybe a little unsettling for us, that we may grow in our faith and our belief in you. So speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last Sunday, you know, Sundays after worship, I'm always exhausted. Preaching is an exhausting thing to do, and so uh, it's kind of a low day for me, and I was watching CNN, and uh, a special came on on the life of um, Giuliani. It's just called Giuliani, I think, America's Mayor or something like that. It's one of those one-hour specials that CNN uh, does from time to time. And so I watched this. Uh, kind of interesting guy, Rudy Giuliani, and, and the change that he's been through over uh, the years. But of course, his defining moment, the highlight, I'm sure, of his career and his life was uh, the days following 9-11. He was incredible how he led just not New York City, but I think in many ways led our country through that very uh, difficult time. And of course, they had videos of 9-11 in this special, which are just, just gut-wrenching, aren't they? To watch what happened that day. It kind of brought back to me all the feelings I had that day. I mean, 9-11 was one of those events in life that you remember where you were when, when you first learned about it. You remember um, how you learned about it, and you definitely remember the feelings you felt. And for me, all those feelings came back. And I'm sure you felt many of these same things. The, just the horror of watching uh, what happened, the disbelief that this could be actually happening. 
I remember sitting, standing in front of the TV on, on, on that morning and thinking, this can't be happening. This must be a, a bad movie, you know, but there it was on uh, Good Morning America and all the other morning shows. And they were trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, do you remember that if you were alive at that time? How things just kind of unfolded, but you felt the horror, the disbelief, the sadness, and the helplessness. And then the rage, just the anger that something like this could be happening. And I remember uh, the broadcaster, and I think, I can't remember for sure, I think it was Dick Bro or, uh, Brokaw, um, who said, you know, life's going to change after this. Boy, was he right. And we're going to change. And those words proved to be true because 9-11 was a transformative moment, was it not? For us as Americans, collectively, we kind of all experienced this together, and then individually as well. It changed us. Do you remember those days post 9-11, the weeks and the months afterwards? We were, different, we were a different people. Friends and loved ones who were estranged really made an effort to reconcile, to forgive, and to ask forgiveness. Couples who had been living together, <laughs> putting off marriage. Remember this? got married. People moved to be closer to their family and their friends, sometimes sacrificing huge amounts in their salaries. People quit jobs they really didn't like and pursued jobs that would be more enjoyable and really that would make a difference in the world instead of just collecting a big paycheck. Um, they were looking for meaning. People spent more time with families. I remember uh, we held on to each other a little bit longer, didn't we, when we hugged one another. And I know for me, after 9-11, I made a vow to myself, I was going to say I love you whenever I felt like it. And I, I hoped it would be all the time. You ever wonder why don't we tell people we love them? <laughs> That's dumb. I mean, it's dumb not to. <laughs> and one change I really liked seeing, people started really paying attention to their spiritual lives. Remember this? Houses of worship, synagogues, and mosques, and, and churches were full, and worship attendance spiked. I remember we called it the 9-11 bubble. We saw worship attendance really you know, spike and, and really held for many years post 9-11. People were seeking community, developing their soul. Now, why did all this happen? Why were these changes? Profound changes, really. Why did they happen to us? Well, here's what I would say. 9-11, at least for a period of time, lifted the veil. Do you know what I mean by that? I think for most of our lives, we have a veil that we look through 
Kind of like what Don just said, I feel like the veil's being lifted, you know, when the screen went up. You didn't know you were prophetic, did you? <laughs> Couldn't see clearly through that screen, but it lifts, you can see clearly, veil, the same thing. We have a veil between us and our mortality. Between us and our death. We live most of our lives, really, as though we are going to live forever. Would you agree with that? But 9-11, and I think to a lesser extent, COVID did the same thing. I'm seeing some of the same things post-COVID that we saw post-9-11. People seeking community. People developing their souls. People really thinking about life. So COVID did the same thing. They make us aware that life is maybe a little more precarious than we usually think it is. I mean, how could we not watching, how could we not think when we are watching those videos of 9-11? I mean, I remember thinking, wow, I could have been one of those persons sitting at my desk, just kind of doing my work, maybe talking on the phone to some customer or something, and all of a sudden a jet plows into our building. I think we all thought that. Wow, this is crazy. Or we could have thought that we easily could have been one of those passengers on that plane going from Newark, New Jersey, that United Airlines, which had a lot of Bay Area people on it, United Airlines flight going from Newark to San Francisco that day that ended up crashing in the field. For me, it was very real. For my wife and I, took that exact flight many times during the years that I was in New Jersey for uh, seminary, those three years. We took that exact flight from Newark, United Airlines, I can't remember the, name of the, the number of the flight, but it was that flight. I thought, wow, that could have been me. 9-11. And other moments like this, when a friend gets sick, or when we have a health scare, or something like even the Maui uh, fires, causes us to think, wow, life is, is, is short. And death can come uh, in an instant. Right? In our psalm today, it's an unusual prayer, isn't it? The psalmist writes this praise, this unusual prayer. Lord, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know. And I think when he writes know, it's let me know in my heart, emotionally, how fleeting my life is. You know, Psalm 90, it echoes the same thing. It, it says, Lord, teach us to number our days, and I love this, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Isn't that good? Lord, help me to count my days. The number of my days. That I may live life with a heart of wisdom. 
And just before that, it says, Lord, you know, we'll be here a short time, just like this psalm says. 70 years, maybe 80 if we're lucky, if strength continues. But then we're gone. Lord, help me to live in that reality with the veil uh, pulled away. Help me to live post 9-11. Now, I'd say that is an unusual prayer, wouldn't you? Have you ever asked God? (laughs) Has it been one of your prayers? We've never used it in worship, I don't think, as long as I've been here. And yet here it is in the psalm. Lord, help me to know how short my life is. Now, you may think I'm weird. You probably already do. But I pray that prayer. I pray it regularly. And after thinking about death all this week, (laughs) last couple weeks, I've prepared for this message and I've read a lot. I'm going to make it a daily prayer. And I'll go even further. I encourage you to make this your prayer. Every day. When you get up. Lord, Help me to see that this day is a gift. Help me to see how short my life is. That I may have a heart of wisdom. Now, why do I think that's important? I mean, this is kind of weird today, isn't it? Why do I think it's important? Well, here's the main point today. So if you've kind of wandered, again, come back here. Our lives are better when we live life with the veil pulled away. Our lives are better when we are aware that we don't deny death, that we don't run away from it, that we're not fearful of it, but that instead we are mindful of it and we live life in light of that truth. You know, I remember post 9-11 reading a column in the San Francisco Chronicle written by Joan Ryan. Do you remember her? I didn't read the Chronicle for a long time when we were up in Chico, but do you remember her? She was a columnist. I don't know what happened to her, but I remember the title of the, the column. We are better than before. (laughs) And her column was about, wow, 9-11 has changed us, but it's changed us in some ways for the better. As we live life aware of how short it is. It makes sense, doesn't it, to live life like this? And yet for the majority of people, for the majority of us, it's, it's hard because there is this denial of death in our culture. No doubt about it. <laughs> and not only is there a denial of our death, we have removed death so much. I mean, I was reading this week about, you know, 100, 150 years ago, death was so common. And as I've been doing my, an, you know, I've been doing a little bit with Ancestry.com, 
I look back on my ancestors and how many of my ancestors had kids, two or three kids, who died at early ages. And how people used to die at home and not in a hospital, removed from their loved ones. And how precarious life was and accidents that happened so much more than today. All those things made life much more right here for people. And now with modern technology and all the rest, it's, it's kind of out there and we've kind of removed it. And we deny it. And partly that is because most of us are so afraid of it. I remember having lunch with one of my parishioners one time, actually a well-known politician in California. And I just asked him, you know, how's life? How you doing? And he was getting up in age and he said, you know, pretty good, except I wake up in terror every night. And at first I thought he was kidding. But he really did. As he started thinking about death approaching, it was terrifying for him. And that's how it is for most of us. So we don't want to think about it. We deny it. And, and we run away from it. You know, as interesting as I, I was preparing for this sermon, somebody, a number of people asked me this week, Steve, what are you praying about or preaching about this week? I said, death. And they said, really? That's kind of morbid. And I remember one of them kind of looking at me like, well, I'll be sure not to be there. We don't want to hear about it. It's scary. And we have this fear. If you don't believe me, gather a bunch of friends together and say, hey, I thought about having some, you know, some nice wine and some hors d'oeuvres, and why don't you come over and we'll talk about death. See how, see how many people come. So let me just say, how does living with this veil pulled away make us live better lives? Well, I think, first of all, it is we see when we're living like that, that life is a gift. Life is a gift. Each day is a gift. Our loved ones are gifts. And when we're living life like that, it increases our, our gratitude. And I think it also increases our love a little bit, just like post 9-11, and our appreciation. It helps us to see this idea of stewardship in the Bible, that all of life's, our lives are a gift from God that God gives us to, to us for a period of time, and says, what are you going to do with this gift that I've given you? We see life as a gift. I know from people that I've walked with through cancer who have come out on the other end, they live life differently. Boy, they're, they're, there's a, a view of life that's different coming so close to death. And they see, wow, life is a gift. And they appreciate the now, right now, more than living so much for the future. So we see that life is a gift. We also, I think, living like this helps us to focus on what's really important in life. If life is finite, infinite, or if it's infinite, there's no pressure to prioritize. But if we see life as finite, like we only have 
so many days, as the psalmist says, wow, we start thinking about what's really important. You know, it's, I was thinking, where do we see this dynamic in our lives? I'm thinking back to when we'd study for finals. You know, you'd have all this information, and then you'd come to the last day or two of, of preparing for the final. What do you do? Wow, you prioritize, right? You can't look at all of it. You try to figure out what is really important here. That's the same with our lives. If we're living life in this way. You know, one of the articles I read this week, uh, the, the author talked about challenging his, he's a professor, challenging his, his students to think about how many Thanksgivings do you have, these are undergrads, who of course have no idea of their immortality. And he would challenge them, think about how many Thanksgivings you have left with your parents before they go off for Thanksgiving break. Do you think that changed the way, a very unpopular uh, thing to do with his students, but do you think it changed how they viewed that Thanksgiving? Of course it did. Of course it did. It changes us. It, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about those four pillars of a good life. Remember? Do you remember what they were? Faith, family, friends, and purpose. And the author of that article in those books, Arthur C. Brooks, says, we all know that. Most of us wouldn't disagree that those are the pillars of a good life. But he said the challenge is to live life that way. Because we get tempted by, you know, the four idols. Uh, what were those? Power, pleasure, uh, fame, and success. And they get in there and they squeeze us away from living life with these four pillars as our priorities. Well, think about living life in this way, how that would help you live life according to those priorities. Instead of just living, kind of cruising through life, thinking that you have all the time in the world to do whatever you want. The third thing I would say is living life like this helps us prepare for death. You know, it's inevitable. It's like Benjamin Franklin said, the only two sure things in life are taxes and death. And that's true. And yet... The one thing that's inevitable in life, how much time do we spend preparing for that? The biggest challenge that we have in life. How much time do we spend preparing for that? Well, kind of lifting back the veil helps us to do that, to prepare. This is the faith pillar, I think. How do we prepare in our faith for our our death, not to be fearful, but to accept it and prepare for it. Because the good news of Christianity, in fact, the central truth of Christianity, the central truth of Christianity is that God has given us a way out. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can conquer death. That's the central truth. You know, that was the focus of all the 
the preaching in the early church was the resurrection. Death has lost its sting. And we have nothing to fear. In fact, every Sunday, you know, is Resurrection Sunday, not just Easter. Every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate this central truth of the gospel. That life here on earth is not all that there is. That there's something beyond that's even better than here. That God has prepared a way for us. There is something beyond, better than this life. And yet, here's what I would say. For most Christians today, we're not real sure about that. And for a lot of people that I officiate memorial services for, they're not real sure. They kind of believe it, but it's kind of vague. They don't have a strong belief because of this culture we're in of modernity that post-modernity that, that says, oh no, that's, that's, that's hogwash. That's our central truth that gives us hope, that takes the sting out of death, that helps us to live life here in a new way. You know, I'll close with this. Tim Keller is a pastor, was a pastor, who just recently passed away. And for me, he's been one of my mentors. I don't agree with everything he says, but I, I think he has so many good things to say. And I've read a lot of his books. Amazing guy, started a church in New York City that grew to 5,000 people, mostly young adults in New York City. <laughs> Probably the most secular city in, in our country. And he uh, had pancreatic cancer. And he wrote a number of articles that I read this week in the midst of, of living through this cancer. And interesting thing, well, he said, you know, when I first got cancer, I went online, which is a problem, and found out how just very difficult this cancer is. One year, usually. And it's usually a very difficult year after getting the diagnosis. And ironically enough, in the midst of that, he was writing a book on the resurrection. <laughs> and here's what he wrote. And I'm going to read, I don't usually read long quotes, but I'm going to read some of this because I think it's so very good. He said, you know, when you know you could die very, very soon, you realize that you basically live in denial of the fact of your death most of your life. When it strike, suddenly strikes you, you have to ask, do I have the faith for this? Do I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened and that if I die in faith in Jesus, I will know that resurrection too? And he continued, here I am writing a book about the resurrection, and I realized I only half believed I was going to die. And I went back and realized that in some ways, I only half believed in the resurrection. Here's this guy that's written books on preparing for death and death and resurrection and all the rest. Here's what he's saying. I only half believe in the resurrection, not intellectually so much, but all the way down deep in my heart. 
I realized I needed to have a greater, a deeper faith in the resurrection, both intellectually and emotionally, head and heart. And while undergoing treatment for cancer after, over the next several months, Keller said he did both, intellectual and emotional work. I looked at the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ while also immersing myself in prayer and in reading the, the Psalms and in Scripture and asking the Holy Spirit to make it all real in my heart. You know, I saw this myself these last few days because the veil was pulled away from me for these last two days. I was in Denver. I just got home last night or in Colorado visiting my friend who just went through his first round of chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer. And this is my very dear friend from college. He's been part of this, this covenant group of four pastors from our college days who have met together for 40 years sharing life together, praying for each other, going through a divorce of one of our, our uh, members, going through deaths of parents, going through trials with kids, you know, just all of life. This is a good friend. And so myself and another uh, member of our group came from Honolulu and we met and we were there just to love him and support him and his family, and his kids, and his wife. And it was so interesting. Here we were, four pastors, Dave, who has cancer, Tim, myself, and Dave's wife, Becca, who's also a Presbyterian pastor. Lots of years of ministry. Lots of years of being with people who are dying. Lots, probably, probably 500 memorial services that we've officiated between the three of us. You know, I mean, we've been around the block with this stuff. And yet, here it is, we are face to face with it. The veil has totally been pulled away. And here I see my friend who is 6'3 and, you know, at one time weighed 230 pounds and now down to 175 pounds. And hurting. And it's right there. And I have to ask myself, these questions, I'm sure all of us did. We talked about it. Do we really believe this stuff we've been preaching all these years? And do we really believe the words that we've been telling people who are preparing for their own deaths? Boy, it's good to ask ourselves these questions to prepare. Are my beliefs strong enough? Is it here? as well as here. And is it here? Have you ever done any reading on it? You know, sometimes I think we think, oh, these things in the Bible, they're just silly stories, and we don't really believe them. And yet, you know what, folks? Our faith is a reasonable faith. There's reasons for it. It has challenged the greatest minds in Western civilization. Lord, help me to count my days that I may have a heart of wisdom.
I'm going to close with a little lighthearted story. You know, I've been with people as they've died, and I've seen people have died without any fear. No fear. Welcoming the opportunity. My mom was one of them. Not a person who had faith for a long time, but for some reason, she, boy, she was not afraid of death. But there was another woman named Elizabeth Rummel, 102 years old, saw a lot of life. She was, boy, she was a ball of fire. Right up until her death, she was, she had, her ministry was called the Surplus Produce Table. She had this table and people during the summer would bring the surplus produce from their beautiful gardens, which in Chico, you can actually grow tomatoes and all kinds of stuff because it's so hot. And they would sell those produce, vegetables, and all the rest, and it would go to world hunger. And she did that for years and years and years, and just was quite a woman. Anyways, she was sick. I can't remember what it was, but she was dying, and her, her days were numbered. And I went to the, the hospital, and I was with her family, and they were all wringing their hands like, oh. She was the, pat- the matriarch of the family, no doubt. All rubbing their hands. How, how, how can we you know, keep her, her life going? And you know, they were telling us, they, the doctor said, hey, if you, she want, if you want her to live, she's going to have to have this, this feeding tube for the rest of her life. And so I talked to the family, and they said, we don't know what to do. We don't know what decision to make. Can you help us out here? And I said, sure, I'll go in and talk to Elizabeth. And... You know, I left the door open, the family was in the hall, and Elizabeth was a little hard of hearing at 102 years old, and I said, Elizabeth! She said, what, what, Steve? I said, it's not looking too good here, Elizabeth. You know, the doctors are telling us that if you want to live, you're going to have to have this breathing tube or this feeding tube for all your days. Your family's really concerned. They don't want to see you go. They don't know what to do. What do you want, Elizabeth? Oh, I don't want that thing in my throat. No way. (laughs) Pull it out. I'm ready to go see Jesus. And she's yelling just as loud as I'm yelling, right? No fear. No, I'm not afraid of dying. She said, I want to go home, be with Jesus. You tell them, let me go. Wow, what a woman. And she's only about 4'10", you know, maybe, maybe 90 pounds. So I went back out to the hallway. I said, did you guys hear that? Oh, yeah, we heard that. <laughs> I said, you don't have to hold on so tightly to her. She's got good things ahead. And she wants to go experience it. And the Jesus that she knows so well, so close here on earth, is the same Jesus she's going to see on the other side. So we let her go. Friends, that's how I want to die. Ah, no, let me go. No fear. Even joy. 
Is it possible? I think it is. Lord, help me count my days that I may have a heart of wisdom. Amen. God, we thank you for the gospel. That at the heart of this religion that we come every week to worship, to, to worship this God who has given us a way out, has conquered our greatest and our final enemy, and can remove the fear and the terror of this final enemy. Lord, we thank you that you have removed the sting of death. And yet, God, we confess that uh, so often we don't really live our lives that way that maybe we really don't believe it. And because of that, we do not know the peace and the joy that you so much want us to have in life. So, God, we pray that you would help us. I, I remember Julie McDonald last summer saying, I hope we can be a congregation that can help each other prepare for, for death. Wow, may we be that kind of congregation? I don't know of any church like that. But I pray that we could be a church like that. That we could live without fear, that the sting of death would be removed. And I pray for anyone here today or who's online who maybe are, are facing their own death in a very real way. I, I pray that this truth of the resurrection would become real to them, both in their head and their heart. And I pray for those who have lost loved ones recently. I pray the same thing for them, that it would be real, that they would have this hope of the gospel. And I pray that for all of us who may be years away from our own deaths, Lord, that you would help us to live with the veil pulled away so that we may experience life here on earth to the fullest. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and